<clears throat> Are we rolling? Oh, yeah, we're rolling. From Austin, Texas, this is the Trey Blocker Show. Starring Trey Blocker and Charlie Hodge. Thanks for that wonderful introduction, <laughs> Rob Baird. You're welcome. That was brilliant. It's my second think, podcast ever in life. So I, think you have a, I think you have a second career. Welcome, everyone, to the Trey Blocker Show. And today we have two of my very good friends, Mr. Brendan Anthony Hello. and Mr. Rob Baird. Yeah, man. Good to be here. It's whimsical Thursday afternoon. Is it Thursday already? It I is. Thought, I thought it was Friday. Why is everybody got Jack with me? It's not good. Not good. I think your inability to remember what day it is is not us jacking with you in any way. <laughs> but I appreciate you shoveling that onto mm-hmm. the three of us mm-hmm. to carry equally on our shoulders. You know, it's never my <laughs> fault, Charlie. Never my fault. So that can be a problem. It, yes. mm-hmm. So as we have discussed on the show before, our objective is to educate, entertain. What was the other one? Uh, educate. Yeah, I just okay. said that. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and every now and then we said, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot, a lot about public policy in the state of Texas. We're going to talk about current affairs across the country and across the world. And then every now and then we're going to invite some really cool people in just to talk about stuff. Um, and so today we've got two of my favorite musicians in the studio. And we're going to talk about where they came from, their background, how they got into music. And... Uh, Mr. Brendan Anthony is going to play us a tune on his fiddle or his violin, depending on what song he decides to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a difference, right? I think it depends on what room you're in. Oh, okay. It's the same damn instrument, seriously? Right, and, and <laughs> what I've said a hundred times, and Trey's probably sick of it, is that I don't want to insult either. So it just depends. It could be okay. a fiddle or a violin. Yeah, it's, it's very 2017. Yeah. They don't say if you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna play the violin in Texas, or we gotta have one in the band. So. That's right. Yeah, that's but if you're gonna true. play a, a, at a wedding, for example, it's a violin, right? It's, that that's sh- how it's listed on the program anyway. So it, it just changes with whatever room you're in. I'm Isn't it strange that a band called Alabama cut a song with that title? I think someone. I think they were relaying a story they were told on the road. I think if you listen to the lyrics of the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's asking too much. I think Brendan. you might be. Tr- that's asking. Too I was much. in. I was in Alabama the other day, and one of those guys owns a car dealership now. I bet he owns a lot of yeah. car dealerships. You know, it was like a Kia dealership. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's surprising. So ten percent off, <laughs> mullet heads only. <laughs> <laughs> mullet heads. Uh, a- additional discount if your <clears throat> sleeves are cut off your t-shirt. Mm. Right. <laughs> So, Brendan Anthony is currently the director of the Texas Music Office. He was born and raised in Texas and has been a musician since age three. I would say that <laughs> I might have started down that path around then, but I don't know when I actually became a musician. But that's, that's fairly accurate, right? All right. Correct. So, stri- straighten the record out. Tell us how you got into music. Yeah, well, back then it was my parents' fault, and uh, I paid them back by becoming a professional musician later. Uh, but they really wanted my brother and I to get into music and have a love for music. They always had instruments out. They weren't great players themselves, and I think they'd admit that. But we had a house full of music, um, classical to progressive country, you know, Jerry, Jeff, and Willie to uh, all the, you know, the classic stuff. I mean, that's what they played constantly. When their friends came over and played, it was always Willie Nelson and Jerry, Jeff, and that kind of stuff. So, no, they had... They had uh, uh, music uh, everywhere, and they had, they had instruments everywhere, and they encouraged my brother and I to start playing. And then 
they got a little bit serious about it and put us in private lessons that lasted for me uh, many years. So I, I played and took uh, I played violin and took private lessons through high school. So but did did it come naturally to you at some level? Like it made sense. Some people pick up an instrument. And it's like oh, well, die I bastard. I don't think I, I definitely wasn't at the top of my my class that that was kind of <laughs> coming up to guys for sure. I mean, it seemed to come more naturally. But I think at that age, it has everything to do with with how much time you put into it um and and i was i was asked by my folks it's a nice way to say it to <laughs> devote quite a bit of time to it and so at a certain point th things got easier uh but i spent a lot of time practicing on the thing that's for sure all right practice makes perfect kids so by the time you were in college you were actually playing some concerts and some shows and wound up in in a little bit little band with a guy named pat green tell us about how that happened yeah, well, I stopped playing classical music uh, in high school. I put it away. I kind of got burnt out on it. There's a lot of routine involved, and I got tired of that. I wanted to be a regular kid, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I literally took the violin. I put it under the bed in my room and told my folks I was done. And uh, as high school moved on, I ran into some friends who uh, – I'd started playing acoustic guitar, too, and I'd run, it, run into some friends who wanted to, to play in front of folks. And so I was playing acoustic, backing them up. And uh, one of the guys said, I heard you played violin, you know, can you still play? And so I went and dug it out. And, and his dad gave me a tape of uh, all of Ray Price's songs, right? And Ray had fiddle on every song he played. And he said, if you come play with, if you can figure some of these things out, you can come sit in with our band. And their band was a, a country cover band. Uh, and we were really good, really good. But... Uh, Really? It really good. Really good. Okay. Uh, one of the best good, uh, good 50 enough, bands in College Station. Good probably. enough to play at the Dixie Chicken, huh? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I got into that, and then I started listening, and I noticed that George Strait had a violin in his band, a fiddle in his band, and I noticed that Dave Matthews had a violin in his band, and I noticed that none of these guys were reading sheet music. They were making up their own parts, and they were playing really cool melodies, and I thought, well, hey, maybe I could try that too. And, uh, Marijuana. <laughs> college, college Station wasn't the spot to Sorry get into that. College Station. Uh, so I, I started, I started messing around with that, and I met. I got really lucky. I, I realized that now to meet um, uh, Roger Kreger at that time. He had just moved back to finish his uh, master's in accounting at A and M, and I met Corey around the same time, and I met Jack Ingram at the same time, and uh, eventually I did meet, I did meet Pat. Yeah, but, uh, about ninety. Uh, about 92 or 93. Oh, lonesome it. question. Right. That was a huge, I loved that album. And Pat, and, you know, it was sorry. in my case, logic visor thing. It was great. And Jack <laughs> was one of the first guys who said, well, I'm not going to, well, he was one of the first guys sort of our age who said, I don't, I'm not going to do this with a label. I'm going to find some money on my own and do it. And boy, so many people followed suit with, you know, varying levels of success. But Jack was coming through and playing shows when I was in, in high school and I'd go to see him. And he actually pulled me up on stage one night because I was standing watching his fiddle player and uh, he pulled me up on stage, and I played a song, and, and Roger and some of his guys were there, and I, they came and introduced themselves. So I started trying to figure out who all was doing these things, and it turns out a lot of them were making records with Lloyd Maines over here. So they introduced me to Lloyd, and I met Pat along the way, too. And I actually told Pat that I should be in his band, and <laughs> he didn't agree or disagree. He just said, okay, man, I don't know you, but if you want to show up tomorrow night, we're playing a gig in College Station. You're welcome to hop up for a song or two. And was I that really your in? Yeah, I met him back. Non-committal, you can be there if you want. Well, maybe he, he didn't know. And then you showed up. Did, did he even? Good test. Did he even remember talking to you the next night? Well, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. 
So I'd, I'd been playing a couple shows with Corey Morrow, and Corey asked me to come play a big show, opening up for Robert Earl Keane that John Dixon and Mark Shaberg had booked at the Wolfman Amphitheater there in College Station where a bunch of big shows were being put on. And it got rained out, but I kept my backstage pass. And when they rebooked it a couple months later, <laughs> I used the pass again, <laughs> and Corey couldn't do it because his sister was getting married in Houston. And so <laughs> Pat, they brought in on the fly. No one knew Pat. He, just, he was a new kid from Lubbock who just played a couple shows out. And uh, he really did a good job, though. I, in my, even in my uneducated, you know, unexperienced worldview, I could tell that he was a charismatic guy and he knew the songs he was playing, at least. And so I, that's when I walked back to him and said, Red yeah, Dirt Electric. I don't, know, I don't know what he was doing at that time, but evidently I thought it was cool. So for everyone listening within the state of Texas, I'm confident they all know who Pat Green is. But for those listening outside of the state of Texas, um, I figure a lot of them do know who Pat Green is, but tell us a little bit about Pat, where he came from, what his hits were, just so everybody knows. Sure. So uh, Pat started out um, independent, as most of those guys that I mentioned uh, prior did. Uh, he scrounged up some money and did a, a solo record with Lloyd Maines um, and uh, started putting together a, a small independent following around the state by playing college bars. Um, and uh, he started making more records and more people were showing up and he put together a really big, uh, really big following and he was signed to a major label deal around 2000 uh, with uh, Universal Republic and he did um, a major label release with them and then um, soon after released uh, a record called Wave on Wave around 2003 or 4 and that actually became number two or number three song. I, I can't remember exactly what number it hit but it was it did pretty well for him, and it gained him a national following. And then he went on to tour uh, with um, country greats like Kenny Chesney, and he played with all of them, but major tours with Chesney. Is that when you were riding the wave, though, during that, that album release and that tour, well, respectively? That allowed him to do some more national stuff. He had a single. He was releasing more singles. He actually had about 15 that charted nationally. Um, and so he was able to tour the follow-up uh, records and songs to that to tour with other folks. Um, he sold over two million records on his own. Um, he's uh, been nominated for three Grammys. Um, so you know he had a he had a pretty big splash and put together a fairly fairly remarkable following, um, given where he came from. And um, he stayed in Texas to do it. You know he signed to some different uh, parts of the country, but he stayed in Texas to do it and did it his own way, for better or for worse. Nice. Yeah. And you guys toured all over the world, right? Yeah, uh, Western Europe and, and United States. Yeah, <laughs> okay. for, sure, for sure. Yeah, I remember going to Jerry Jeff Walker's house when I was a young man. I went to school with the, his kids. and Django. Um, the studio had Miller Lite stacked from floor to ceiling. <laughs> and I just remember, what's Life. that about? And he said, that's his beer sponsor. The Life truck pulls good. up. <laughs> Nice. Life is good. And nice. Career goal, have truck pull up to house oh. to deliver <laughs> beer, like from the truck. Oh, yeah. Have you had that, Rob? I've had, I don't drink beer, which is... Uh, Still, you would take, I, a, I would you would take, take a beer, beer delivery yeah, of, that, of that sort. You wouldn't say no. Man, oh, you, know, you have a writer you know, like in, in the entertainment industry, yeah. and, and I, always, I always end up, like my bar normally has, like I have, I have Jack Daniels and Tito's on there and handles, and if we drink more than like two drinks before the show we're gonna be horrible <laughs> at, at least i've learned that lesson now and so i have all this jack daniels like they're everywhere i have bottles of, i don't even drink that much anymore i know and it's sad it's sad when your sponsors you just, well, get the best on, of so you yeah. what'd you just say 
I don't even drink. I mean, it comparatively. No, no. Say that, that sentence again. I want to hear it. I don't even drink that much anymore. <laughs> Rob's, that Rob's 30 so, years old, by the way. Yeah. I just turned 30, man. Yeah. So I just yeah. started saying these things Yeah, I was to about myself. to say, Rob, yeah. Rob Barrett had a birthday last yeah. last week. And an after and, party. And an after party control. that went. Did you really went, just uh, turn 30? I just turned That's 30. That's a tough one because oh. like, you're having oh. those moments where you wake up hungover, but for some reason, thoughts about like retirement. Right, like, they start butting into your head. It sucks. I was Quarter life crisis ends, and you're like, "Why is this happening?" I, I can the see the end. He went out and bought some eye cream too. Yeah, really. yeah. I was I was out till like one forty. It was for business. I'm using air quotes here till like one forty five last night. And I got up at six, and I was like, "What am I doing?" This used to be so much easier when I was twenty two, mm. and I just was going to be a musician. You know, it uh, it sucks. Though. Now you don't want to you don't want to be late to the bakery because the good rolls are gone. You're telling me. <laughs> Old man, Dude. old man problems. I'd like to say this: you can. I, I Uber eats Olamay biscuits this morning. <laughs> it was the best thing. I used to prank call Olamay. They, they don't know this. I don't know if they're ever gonna figure it out. I used to call them and tell them that they had the best biscuits in the world at like three in the morning. It was someone dared me, and then now you can just Uber eats it. So, I know. So uh, the proper pronunciation of that word is biscuit. What? Yeah. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. I never heard it like that when no. I was growing up. No. I could be wrong. Okay. Okay. Well, how do you that's know? An, that's an inside joke. How how does Brendan and Rob know one another? Y'all are both musicians, but you know, there's lots of musicians. Did y'all ever fist fight or anything like that? <laughs> no. I remember the day I met you. Oh, do tell. And I met our buddy Daniel Hodge and Clay Corn all in one day. I was dating or start I hadn't even started dating this girl, and I went to a birthday party for Daniel Hodge, and I was a very young musician, and there was like a quarter of Pat Green's band. And I was like, oh, what's up, guys? It was probably 2009. I just moved down here. Brendan was very nice to me. We smoked cigars. I felt cool. And then I dated the girl for two years, and then it went kind of mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Well, not, between, not between us. But no. Brendan's still here. We've still so. been friends. I would say that Brendan Anthony is a mentor of mine, and we, uh, we got to jam at a wedding recently. And we played Canon and Jeeves. Does he have you involved with the Texas Music Office? I just got a license plate. I don't understand what that means. Yeah. It has my name on it. Did you have to pay for it? Are you bragging? Like, but like, it was, I, I was still like something. You, I, I don't know who like paid went for to the it. site and paid for it. No, oh, no, no okay. yeah, yeah. Brendan brought it to me on my birthday. I think someone paid. Who? I don't know. That's. But it's been paid for. Hopefully, it wasn't by the state. You should just run tolls. So, yeah. Toll after toll after toll. Toll and toll. Just go through. Till he calls you. Well, let's be clear. This license plate is not <laughs> legal. <laughs> To put on your phone, not this particular. It just one. has my name on it. So we explain what he's talking about. How did? Why did you give him a license plate? Is it part of the new black plates initiative? Uh, no, uh, actually, Texas Music Office operates a grant that gives uh, lessons and instruments to kids and uses uh, a foundation to promote uh, community music programming in underserved communities. And so, we're leveraging artists' um, reach on social media to help us get the word out about these things. And so, when artists have a a robust and vibrant social media uh, <laughs> presence, like Mr. Baird does. Uh, we enlist their help. Uh-huh. We've we've asked many artists, and they've all said yes so far to, yeah. to help us spread that word. So Rob got a plate with his name on it that he used on social media to help spread the word about how to get involved in that. How nice. do you how do you decode uh, robust and vibrant? Uh, it all means something <laughs> different to each artist. Yes. That's for certain. Yes, that's no, for certain. You know, so social media is interesting, man. Brendan, let's back this up a little bit. Sure. Uh, you are currently the director of the Texas Music Office. Uh, let's let's be honest. A lot of people don't know that it even exists. Mm-hmm. 
So explain to our listeners what the Texas Music Office is, what your objectives are, and what you, what you, what you hope to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. So the Texas Music Office is an office within the office of the governor, and it's almost 30 years old. It's about 28 years old now. Um, it's a connector. Uh, it's uh, a uh, translator of industry concerns uh, for um, industry leaders to state leadership. So we serve to um, translate those concerns to um, our higher up so that we can help uh, grow business, create jobs here in the state. Uh, we operate that foundation I, I walked through a second ago that uh, helps uh, get instruments in the hands of kids uh, who are in foster homes or, or uh, need them to continue their education. Uh, we try to work hard to better connect the Texas music industry statewide by encouraging communities to become uh, music-friendly and form offices that can speak uh, to their uh, heads of uh, their local governments about uh, industry concerns. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's an office with a, a, a wide uh, range of, uh, of uh, objectives, that, that's for certain. Uh, we're an unprecedented uh, data source and resource uh, for uh, industry professionals around the state. There are nearly 20,000 listings in our database, and folks from around the state and around the world can use those to connect with one another. So to, so to punctuate what he just said, we were at a dinner, I suppose this was Monday night, with um, a little more than a handful of newly elected members to the Texas House of Representatives, and Brendan was, we were going around the table telling everybody who we are and what we do, and Brendan was explaining who he is and what he does, and one of the new House members proceeded to tell a great story uh, about you all, your office, helping helping an elementary school in her district. Uh, tell us what that was about. Right. Uh, Representative uh, Diana Arevalo uh, from San Antonio, um, in addition to all of her uh, other daily responsibilities, uh, helps uh, fund and operate a music school for kids who would not, wouldn't necessarily be able to uh, afford something like that, uh, would likely, if I had to make a uh, broad assumption, likely be doing less than constructive things with their time. Sure. Um, and she finds she finds kids who are truly interested in continuing their education through music, and um, it's a it's a fantastic program. A, a couple of her kids have gone on to uh, some real success. One is uh, currently working with uh, Selena's father Abraham to uh, produce her new record, uh, which promises to be to be great. And that's a that's a big step for a kid who uh, would have had no way to pursue that that dream prior. Um, another one of her kids who just finished the program is working with Simon Cowell right now. Um, and, and like I said, th these kids would have likely ended up somewhere possibly dead indie. Um, <laughs> if, if, and I don't want to, you know, paint with an unfair brush, but uh, this program's fantastic. And she spends a good deal of time, um, apart from her day job, sure. apart from her uh, responsibilities representing her district, making sure that uh, stays up and running. And uh, when we started the license plate program, for example, I went down and shot a couple of PSAs with local news from her school to uh, gain interest and... Um, exposure for that school and uh, to let them know too that we were here to support them and we get to do that all over state and that's a really interesting thing we get to do but it was a coincidental thing the other night that uh, a she's uh, had the good fortune to be elected uh, to represent her district and that she was there and had a story to tell about how we got involved in in their lives it's a, it's a neat part about what we do at the office for sure well, and it was a great story, and I think it was it was great for all of the other newly elected members at that dinner to hear the story because inevitably every legislative session here in Texas, somebody decides to file a bill to eliminate your office. Or three. 
or three or four. Mm -hmm, sure. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe a few have already been filed mm -hmm. this session. So I assume, how much time do you spend educating the legislators on what you do and the importance of it? Well, I mean, as you can as you can attest better than anybody, we, we walk a fairly fine line um, when it comes to communicating uh, our needs to elected representatives, right? Uh, the initiatives of the governor's office normally flow through decision makers at that uh, at high levels and the Office of Legislative Affairs. Sure. So we do, in informal ways, uh, do our very best to uh, let folks know when they're asked when they're asking us and they're curious about what we do, exactly what we do and how important we are. Um, and then we do uh, a fair bit of testimony in front of our various committees, that's for certain. Um, you know, events like uh, you set up the other night are invaluable because they do, in a social setting, uh, an unofficial setting, give us the opportunity to talk about why we're important, why, bottom line, our office is invested in uh, the business of creating jobs and promoting an industry that puts so many people to work. Um, and, it, you know, it lets me tell them things like we have a district-by-district district House and Senate breakdown in our office, a, a dynamic uh, breakdown of the economic impact of all their businesses. So if we ever do get in that discussion with an elected representative, the quote-unquote, why is music important to me, uh, I can tell them in black and white terms. And what we've really worked hard to do in our office is put numbers to the industry so people don't perceive it only as a cool thing to do on a Friday night, which it is, and a huge exporter culturally for the state, but it's also a black and white business that puts a lot of people to work and contributes greatly to the tax base in the state. So, you know, we, we, we work hard to have those kind of conversations with them, uh, not about one particular issue necessarily, but uh, about why we're important, sure, but because, uh, you know, we're important because we do try to speak for those concerns of the entire industry, that matter, and it matters to them because there are so many of those people living in all of their districts. Legitimize the monetary value of the existential machine, man. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Right on. Yeah. Well, I looked at the industry from my perspective uh, for about 20 years before I started this job, right? My perspective was a player, uh, a sometime producer, um, you know, someone who worked with young artists, young artists occasionally to, to tell them yes or no or help out occasionally. And then I worked on the e-commerce side, and I helped artists build their brands and sell millions of dollars of the merchandise. So I knew part of this industry, but what I, what I didn't know um, is, is how many people it affected statewide. I, I, like anybody else, had my head down focused on what I was working on, and I didn't understand the massive impact the music industry has on the state, and it does. Hmm. And so one of the very first things we did when I got the job was create this economic impact study to show in black and white it. terms absolutely how that's, important it is that's impressive god trey your your damn outline came in handy i didn't realize rob was from he went to tcu so did i oh you did i'm a flipping horn frog somebody asked me what a horn frog was the other day and i said well, i think it's a lizard, a lizard. <laughs> genealogically it is so you, yeah so you both went to texas christian university did i just let i went there because they let me in me too <laughs> yeah ut there, was like man eh, you're too dumb and stupid I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I don't think they had, they have very few people at the time that wanted to go there from Memphis, and they were like, oh, yeah, man, you're in. And you I were like your own minority group. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I think about it, so I'm glad we're on the same page. From Memphis. Yeah. The musically, the musically inclined. So what did you learn about Fort, from Fort Worth? Man, I learned it's a town that has no signs, <laughs> but has everything available. What does that mean? <laughs> It takes a while to kind of figure yeah. out the vibe you there. Might want to it's a weird. Man, I used to one. go to Fred's Texas, which is now like kind of corporatized. I think they got on like Guy Fieri's show. And he was <laughs> like, "Yo, 
you know, like, let's put some more cheese on that, whatever that guy does. But um, I used to go to Fred's, Texas, and now the de- uh, West 7th developed area and, and drink beer when I was 18 with guys that were 18 that were serving me. And it was, Cowtown was like nothing I'd ever seen. And like, that's like the complete opposite from Memphis. It might, be, it's a very, if you look at the numbers, a very different place, but Billy Bob's Texas, used to listen yeah. to those records. Brendan used to play there, things like that. I played there now. I don't know. I love Texas Christian University. It's totally different now. Yeah. Well, it's a, it reflects a, a state that legislates six months out of 24. I concur. Wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Skippy. So, Rob, your your latest album, Wrong yeah. Side of the River, is, is, a, is different from your previous album, uh, it's different in a great way. Your your first album was was incredible and impressive, but just a different sound, and yeah. different vibe. Tell us tell us about that evolution. Well, I think you probably believe that because I hired a publicist and that seems to be working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's great? Um, I don't know, man. You just get older. Like I I just like music and, yeah, and he's you, thirty. You just get older as an artist. I started like like the short background. I w- I went to Texas Christian University. I was. Uh, I was supposed to be, I grew up working on ranches somehow, like it was weird for Memphis, like I got in trouble and my dad was like, I lit some stuff on fire with some, a couple M80s and a can of gasoline, but I didn't get in trouble, the fire department came, but like, I blamed on somebody smoking a cigarette or something, and uh, I got out of it, but my dad sent me off to Wyoming to work, and this is ridiculous, but this is a podcast, what are we doing? <laughs> and so I was out in Wyoming, he sent me out there with my sister's friend who's fairly attractive, and so I didn't really put up a... She was like five years older. I didn't put up a whole lot of fight. And before you know it, I was building fences and riding like horses in the middle of Wyoming during the summertime, which is incredible. With a hot girl. Yeah, it was going great. This is not a broke backstory. No. No, no. And before you know it, I had my own saddle. I was like this guy from Memphis walking around with boots on and people were in like a private school. And people were like, what are you doing, man? This is insane. <laughs> my, my business is still called Boots Bear LLC, which is pretty funny because they nice. used to call me Boots. Went out there my senior year. I got kicked in the head by a horse. Was my cinch broke Shut three up. times? <laughs> yeah, I had a major concussion. Um, major concussion. You hadn't learned that lesson about walking behind horses or whatever. No, no. I went. I was riding up a mountain, quite literally, quite literally. And um, my uh, my cinch broke, and I went underneath the horse, and my feet went through it. So if you think I'm crazy, this is probably why my feet went through the stirrups, and it was like, I mean, I'm underneath a horse getting kicked in the head. And I was <laughs> it, it explains a lot, honestly. Yeah, it's the first time I've heard this. Yeah, it was on, now it all makes sense. It was on Father's Day, and I was calling my dad, but I couldn't remember the story. <laughs> I kept being like, I love you, Dad. And it was like, What happened to me? He's like, Son, you have a concussion. You're in Wyoming. And I was like, This is incredible. Uh, so apparently, ranch management, I, I was really into like, I was like, Dude, I'm a ranch, and I, which was, I don't know what I was thinking, but I went to. Texas Christian University because they have the Rockefeller School of Ranch Management. It wasn't because of the girls. Well, I didn't even know, dude. I was just in. I was like, man, no, man, I get ranch management, and so like I, I get into the business school, and I was gonna do that on the side, and I go up there, and I'm like, okay, can I take a tour? And they're like, yeah, nobody's here today, and I'm like, where are they? And they're like, they're at AI class. I'm like, okay, what one is that? And they're like, when you take the glove and you put it all the way. The whole glove, and I was like, "Okay, cool. I think I'm going to stick to business school after not virtual reality. Yeah, talking about a cow's good end. Yeah, you just get all the way in there. Yeah, 
I started playing this place called the Aardvark, and like 400 yeah. people showed up. You've been to the Aardvark? Yeah. It's a real classy place. I got carried out of there in a coffin, and I don't remember ever getting out of it. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. They serve sushi there, I think, now. <laughs> Dan- uh, Danny Weaver. Big part of it. Yeah, Danny Weaver still hates me because I figured out, I think, that he was taking like 15% off the door, and I figured it out. And it's hard to keep a club open now. I know. You know yes. more about this than me. So yeah, long story yeah. short, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, so I went to TCU, and I got lucky enough to get a publishing deal and a record deal out of Nashville called Carnival Records. Got him Frank Liddell, who's a producer, and he's married to Leanne Womack. He does all the Miranda Lambert <laughs> records. He's a wild man. Uh, he was a great mentor for me for a long time. And then he, yeah. he was on the bus to Stephenville and then to Lovett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which will be that was a fun trip. Another story. You trip. have an outline here. I don't know if you're <laughs> going by it or not. Just stop talking about the outline. Okay. Sorry. But long story short, yeah. stick to your dreams and you'll get a license plate that is uh, for novelty <laughs> purposes only. You get a license plate, a bunch of stories, and uh, and 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 like like. A, like, uh, can you cuss on this? I can't sure. tell. Okay, shit well, tons of random experiences that all add up into something, maybe. There you go. And then you and just, that's how songs are written. And then you die. So, yep. <laughs> on the music industry. Off yeah. this, this new album, Wrong Side of okay, the River, back do, to that, do yeah. you have a favorite song off that album? Shit, I don't know. I've been, I'm writing the new record right now, so I'm kind of confused. But I think this th- song called Run of Good Luck is pretty cool because my buddy Rustin Kelly... Uh, who I'm very proud of, and he just proposed to uh, Casey Musgraves, which I thought was a pretty oh, strong move. Good job. Good job. Uh, and I wrote this song on Music Row. It like snowed. I moved to Nashville for a year. I was still writing from them. They made me move up there. And uh, I didn't want to leave Texas for obvious reasons. You can eat a good taco in Nashville. You no. can't. You can't. No. You ever found one? Well, Lyle Lovett says not to eat Mexican food north of... What a quote that is. North of Boston? In Oklahoma. Well, basically north of Sherman. Yeah. I can see you getting at your compass. You're about to eat a taco. You're like, wait a <laughs> second. Yeah, what am I doing? Oh, this is far too north. No, the San Antonio Taco Company is not what you think it is. Mm. Don't go there. No. Don't. You know, don't. Si- since Do this, not Google the San Antonio. Since, since this outline, <laughs> since this outline has mentioned, been mentioned three times already. Your outline? I knew, yeah. I knew when I wrote this one. As opposed to prior ones, we would not. Stay I was determined to find the outline <laughs> immediately. I was like, "We're not doing that, dude. This yeah. is a, no. no, it's not a PowerPoint. Not with this crowd." Uh, uh, favorite song, "Run a Good Luck." So I wrote it. It was a snow day in Nashville. Nobody, any chance anybody gets a chance not to work on Music Row? I think they, you would say that they're they're like, "Oh yeah, it snowed like an inch. We're we're not going to work today." <laughs> I see. And uh, Rustin called me, or Rusty, and we wrote this tune in, in Waylon Jennings' old studio. In like 45 minutes, and I had just been to Midland, uh, Texas. I was a surprise for a, uh, a rehearsal dinner. Did like you some... jump out of a cake? No, I'm about, dude. They were like, <laughs> so we're so glad they're engaged, and we're at the Petroleum Club, and then we're going to have Rob Bear do some songs. <laughs> <laughs> I had to fly from Nashville to Dallas to Houston to Midland to get there. Wow. I was pissed. And uh, did, it came, did it come out in your music? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I went to like a house party at Midland and I came back and I was trying to explain this dude from Nashville, like what a weird place Midland, Texas can be. And then we wrote a song about it and it snowed and then he might have, we all walked out on Music Row and then just might have enjoyed a special cigarette together and then that was right. the best day ever. So <laughs> I asked uh, <laughs> as a precursor to this podcast, I'm, I've got two brilliant musicians sitting here with us right now, Charlie, right? And I asked them both to bring their their instruments of choice. And I, 
what, 15 minutes before we were set to record, Brendan texted me and said, man, I forgot the, I forgot the fiddle. I know. And, uh, and so he, he runs home. Violated outline number one. Yes. He's Mm -hmm. a, he's a good dude, (laughs) right? So he runs home and grabs a fiddle, right? He did. Cool. Good, good job. And then Mr. Baird rolls in here 20 minutes late. Right. I was told uh, the wrong address and I was mentoring a young musician. (laughs) She had D cups. (laughs) (laughs) Which bar were you mentoring her (laughs) in? And so Baird rolls in here without a guitar. So I'm gonna. You need to cue up that song. That is my favorite song. I mean, you got it. Oh, on the ain't phone. nobody. Okay, you want to yeah, just so put it to the mic? Yeah, just, you just throw it to the mic and. How long? You think he could pick it on on the fiddle? I don't. Those know. things don't have frets, man. I never yeah, figured I, out. I, 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 I don't think Brendan wants him wants him touching his fiddle. Really? To be honest with you. Traipsing you his fingers touch, all over it. You can't touch. He a let man's me touch fiddle. it recently. <laughs> you cannot <laughs> go touching a man's fiddle. So right. so this is. My favorite song on the album, and we we Will you tell me why. Well, okay, so Charlie Charlie and I stole no borrowed, with permission of course. If anybody's been wondering where the music comes from on our intro and our exit, it, it's Rob Baird's song, "Ain't Nobody Got a Hold on Me." Yeah, and uh, it's just a catchy tune. Do it's I get a, a tax tune. credit for this somehow? A tax credit? Yeah, like like a donation thing. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll give you a form okay, cool. at, at the end of the podcast. I mean, I'm with the politician. I don't know. You know, hit, hit play okay, on that cool. thing, and, and let's hear some lyrics. That's so Freudian <laughs> for a lobbyist. Very Freudian. Ain't nobody got a hold on me. So we just heard a little bit of Rob Baird's Ain't Nobody Got a Hold on Me, and you're going to continue to hear the instrumental version of that song as long as you're listening to this podcast, because I love that tune. So thank you for that, well, Thank Mr. you, man. Baird. That's cool. You know? it's, a, it's a good tune, and thanks for letting us use it, by the way. It's a first it. for me. I'm gonna, I like first. I'm going to yeah, take it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, 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 taking it, we're taking it international. So... Um, Brennan, I do have to ask you to tell one story. I mean, we could sit here and tell stories all night. I know that we could, and everybody probably listened for five hours. Yeah, but sure. one of my favorite stories, you and I have known each other for a while, and, and we've had a lot of good times together, and, and we could really tell a lot of good stories. But mm-hmm. you have a story that I've seen the YouTube video <laughs> of. I wasn't there for it, but um, tell us the story about when you were in Pat Green's band, y'all were playing a, a show, and Pat challenged you to flick a mm. pick mm-hmm. in his whiskey glass. Yeah, uh, we were in D.C. at the 930 Club, and uh, Pat had a really good draw up there. It was sold out. It was packed, and people were people were in a really, <coughs> really rowdy mood, per usual. And uh, It's a great club, man. It is a really, it's really a wonderful place. Really cool club in D.C. It's one we always looked forward to playing. It was awesome. So, you know, we were in a good mood. Things were fun. And so anyone in Pat's band, you can ask him. I, I was always the one who was always like, let's play more songs. Let's keep this thing moving. Let's let's give them what they want. You know, yeah. I just, when, when you go to a show and there's a lot of talking happening, I tuned I tend to walk to the bar and check out sometimes. Right. And so Pat started this thing, which he's good at, and he started you know, getting the crowd involved, and he was talking to him, and I thought that maybe it had gone on a little bit long. right? Now, it's not my show, and it's not my company, but <laughs> I took it upon myself to throw a pick at his head. Now, the, the thing you might not know, 
without seeing it done is that you can put a pick between your uh, index and middle finger and you can send that thing with an awful lot of velocity a long way. Like a Frisbee. Yeah, and it, it will just sail if you do it right. Uh, Gary Allen taught me how to do that. Um, he's really good at it. Dude, he's Gary a, Allen's bad the bone. He's a marksman. <laughs> um, so marksman with a pick. Right, so I, I threw one at his head and uh, it, it hit him um, because I'm halfway decent with the thing. Because you're damn good with a pick. Right, so I'm about 15 feet away. So I always stood to Pat's right on stage right. I, I always stood kind of towards the corner. It was my little main section over there. And uh, someone had given Pat a shot. Of, it was tequila, by the way. And, and someone had given him a shot of tequila, and he's holding this in his hand uh, while he's speaking to the crowd about something that I thought maybe they would find irrelevant. So that's why I threw the pick at it. And that annoyed him. And so he looked at me with the mic in his hand, and he said, I'll give you $1,000. In two, if in two tries you can make a pick in this shot glass right here that I'm holding. At, at what distance? I'm about 15, maybe a little bit more away. So I'm okay. standing on the edge of the stage, the front corner of the right right hand side of the stage, and he's stage middle. So, you know, someone from 9:30 might dispute me, but I'm easily 15 feet away. You can look up the YouTube video if you if you yeah, want to check if it out. There's any doubt. Uh, and so I threw another one at his head, and then I looped one into the shot glass. Wow. Right. So I figured there's. Might as well try. Did so, you collect? Yeah, well, the cool thing is on the YouTube video, you kind of hear what he says. He says, I'll give you $1,000 if you put the pick in the shot glass in two tries. So I did. And he said it on the microphone, so the crowd heard him say it. Mm. And so the crowd's heads are like a tennis match. So, right? so no pressure, right? Well, hey, you know, if, it, if it happens, cash? it happens. Did he pay so you cash? You the, when, when, the thing <laughs> went, when the thing went in, everybody saw it go in, and the crowd went absolutely berserk they nice. went crazy I mean, they're jumping up and down the balcony you can see them everywhere it's on the it's on the video and and you know pats has got his arms in there and jumping around and, and, and it's it's really fun and i looked over and at that moment um i noticed that our guitar tech uh chris had been filming the whole thing nice. he was asked by management to film one song a night for web content nice and for whatever reason he was filming that moment of wow. that song and he got it on video. And yeah, uh, the second half of the video is his uh, merch guy uh, at the time, uh, road manager, uh, Brad, coming out with a thousand bucks and paying me off, which I will say I didn't put under my mattress. I took <laughs> it downstairs to the bar after the show and uh, let it ride until all the opening band and the crew yeah, and everybody nice, else had. Nice. And I still question. had money left over. So they. So Brennan is so smart, he knows he's being recorded. And to your comment about the 1099, mm -hmm. that, was, that was his excuse for not paying taxes. He spin yeah, at perfect. the bar. Spin at the bar. That's right. It, it went away. Good job, dude. It Good went job. away. That was the real question. So, since uh, unlike Rob Baird, uh, <laughs> Brennan brought his instrument of choice. Uh, you mind playing us something? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, something short, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. We don't need like a. Yeah, we're not. We don't need. You do a Bach piece, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Short awesome. sweet. Awesome. I felt like my brother just told me he was going to fight for the union, and I, and I thought, 
<laughs> that makes me sad. I'm going to smoke my pipe on this rock Let's and see. contemplate. Mm. I, I kind of felt like I needed some Irish whiskey. Hard winners here in Missouri. <laughs> it's like cold mountain. <laughs> Very cold. Yeah, Very mountainy. Awesome. There's no frets on that instrument, man. I can play a guitar and like I kind of understand harmonica. There are no frets. I will, I will say. It's, it's uh, very hard. So uh, this fiddle. Sorry. It looks like it's a little beat up. Well, Should I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's been road, road weary. But uh, so Brian Duckworth, who was uh, a fiddle player in Robert Earl's band for many years and before that with Clay Blaker. That would be Robert Earl Keen for that, the uninitiated. That's correct. Uh, so his fiddle player made this for me. Um, so this is hand-built by Brian Duckworth, and it's one of my favorites. I've, I've got in a wow. pretty serious collection, but I play it all the time now. Thank now you, Brian. Don't you have a crazy-looking blue electric one hanging on your wall? Yeah, it was Louise Mandrell's, and, yeah, and I, pretty I cool. bought that on, on Broadway in Nashville. Really? Mm-hmm. Where, at uh, Groon's? No, it was in a pawn shop right up from Green. No way. Yeah, it was sitting there for 100, 150 bucks maybe. Related to Barbara Mandrell? Yeah, one of the Mandrell oh. sisters. Uh, it was given to her by a company called Barkus Berry, and it had the original sticker in it. It didn't say Louise's fiddle. It was just covered in dust, and it was blue. And I took it to an old-school fiddle guy in Nashville, and he said, yep, that's the one. He looked it up oh, wow. in Barkus wow. Berry's registry. You know, at Austin High, I had Ian Moore's history book. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. So, you know, we really could go on all night with this group, and I wish we could, but uh, we're running out of time. You've the bar is deep enough. It, yeah. uh, the bar is deep enough. You have been listening to the Trey Blocker Show with Charlie Hodge, Trey Blocker, and our special guest, Brendan Anthony and Mr. Rob Baird. Uh, at Per Tradition, I have asked Mr. Brendan Anthony to provide us with some words of wisdom to close out this show. So it's all yours, Mr. Anthony. Well, I've got a, I've got a couple, if you'll indulge me. Um, yeah, one, one's a pretty famous Hunter S. Thompson quote about the music yeah, industry, which we've all probably heard before, and it's true. Uh, quote, the music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs, and there's also a negative side. <laughs> <laughs> and one that has a little bit more uh, bearing on, on what I do today uh, if we do our job, music's not black and white, it's green. That's what I got. I love it. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on the show, and everybody listening, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having us. I was ready to tell the time I went to Old Miss with John the Fiddler, and we got ecstasy, <laughs> and uh, somebody broke their foot. Next time. Next That's time. fun, man. Yeah.